Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny's guest is physician-turned-relationship and intimacy coach, Alexander Stockwell, known as the Relationship Catalyst. Alexander and Sunny will be discussing how to bring pleasure and purpose back into all aspects of our lives. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with joy, peace, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com. You can find out more about me and connect with me for coaching through my website, which is goldenoversoul.com. That's goldenoversoul.com. And don't forget about my book. It is still available to download for free, or at least the electronic version anyway. If you want the paper copy, you got to go to Amazon or a bookstore. But um, if you would like to download this ebook or share this with a friend, just go to to unhitchedbook.com. That's unhitchedbook.com. And of course, this book is written for anyone who is feeling a little bit stuck in their marriage, unhappy, and deciding whether to stay or go. And if you do decide to go, how to do it gracefully, which is actually kind of funny because our topic today is going in the exact opposite <laughs> direction, how to create conscious partnership, which we'll talk more about here. But Vinny, I hear you giggling. How are you? No, that wasn't me. What? <laughs> who else no. is that? Well, it could have been me. All right. Relationship and intimacy. Ooh, love. Exciting and new. Yep, we're going there today. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. It actually was fun preparing for this because I was thinking, it reminded me um, when my book, um, when I moved to Petaluma, there's a wonderful chain of independent, it's an independent bookstore called Copperfields, and they've got a shop in Petaluma, one in Santa Rosa. Do you know Copperfields, Alexandra? No, but no. I'd like to go. <laughs> okay, good. Yes. Sorry, I didn't even intro her and I'm just bringing her on. I'll give you the intro in just a second. But um, when I got to Petaluma, this lovely um, bookstore, I mean, it is actually, it's amazing. It's not little. It's its a big bookstore right on one of the main streets in Petaluma. And I shared that I had a book and they were so sweet and they um, offered to carry it in the store. And so I went by a couple weeks later and uh, said, oh, I heard my book is in. Um, can I take a look at it? And they had it, of course, in the relationship section. But they had it placed. It's so funny. Like my book was facing forward and then this other book called Attached. So I've got Unhitched and Attached <laughs> right next to each other on the relationship. That's good marketing show. right there. That's good marketing strategy. I know. I guess it depends. What are you in the mood for? You right. want to get unhitched or do you want to be more attached? <laughs> so that's good. anyway, yeah, that was fun. So. Oh, yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today, which was really fun in preparing for the show because it's, um, um, you know, the more that I dive into this work and I see so many nuances and I, I can't wait to talk to my guest today, Alexander Stockwell, um, who is a physician at turned a relationship and intimacy coach, as Benny mentioned in the intro. Um, but I'm beginning to see so many nuances and how we view relationship and marriage and what that means and our beliefs about it and what's possible within and without of the institution. And so anyway, it's just, it's an interesting topic. So I'll just go ahead and um, read um, Alexandra's bio and then we can dive in with this content. And I also want to say this is a really special show today because Alexandra is one of the lovely people who I was introduced to when I got to the Bay Area, and she's in the East Bay Area in Benicia. And so we are at her house broadcasting live, the two of us sitting here together, which is a big old treat because it's rare these days that I am, um, you know, connected with my guests in person. We often connect remotely. Um, so this is really special. So um, first of all, Alexandra, thank you for being here. It is my pleasure. I feel so honored. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, so official bio. Alexandra Stockwell is a physician turned relationship and intimacy expert. She's known as the relationship catalyst. So we'll have to ask her what that means a little later. For more than two decades, she has been guiding men and women to bring pleasure and purpose back into all aspects of life, from the daily grind of running a household to successfully growing a business to creating ecstatic experiences in the bedroom. If you want to find out more about that and the work that she does with couples, uh, you can go to alexandrastockwell.com. That's alexandrastockwell.com. Okay, so <laughs> Alexandra, with all of that, <laughs> let's dive in. 
Sounds good. Okay. So I want to actually, I want to set the tone here so that we have a common language. And you know, if you are a relationship and intimacy expert from where you sit, what does the word intimacy see? What does that mean? Or what does it look like to you? You know, I want to step even further back before mm -hmm. answering that specific question, okay. because I think in general, um, what the places where people need to grow and develop and have more skills and achieve their desires and happiness are mm -hmm. typically areas that they don't understand. Mm -hmm. It's not due to um, really any other reason that couples have the challenges that they have. I mean, I don't want to say there are no other reasons. One of the main reasons is that they don't know how to navigate it. Mm -hmm. And so this question of what is intimacy is actually a super profound one. And there's the superficial answer, which is like, oh, is that about sex? And then very often someone will say, oh, but you really need to make sure to include emotional intimacy. That's mm -hmm. what's so important. And I use that word because I want to have it be the umbrella for all the okay. different things that arise for people because I think the root challenge mm -hmm. in having sensual passion and emotional intimacy is actually not what people think it is. And it's, it's not, it's something that's tender and vulnerable, but it's not something that requires being naked to change. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so then, then my question, I actually want to back up a bit because I'm always interested in, in people's stories. So I wanted, you know, to kind of say what we were talking about. What does intimacy mean in the context of our conversation today? I, then yeah. let me actually answer oh, okay. that because yeah. I, um, I was thinking when I was preparing for the show, very often when I'm interviewed, I say something and it's kind of a culminating point that I make. Okay. But in this context where your guests are spiritual and your inquiry is so refined and kind of starting with God, mm -hmm. I want to actually start where I usually end. Oh, I love this. Okay. And that is to say that my whole approach, whether we're talking about communication styles, unhitching, attachment, or communication, really anything in relationship that matters, I fundamentally believe, and everything comes through this lens, that relationship is the vehicle for personal transformation. Mm, yeah. So everything that I'm saying is going to tie back to that. And I think your show is about transformation. And so really today's topic, it's, it's about how we use our relationships for the kind of transformation that you talk about with spiritual teachers yeah. and meditators and all the other people that you speak with. Yes. And I love that. I love, this is one of the things in preparing for the show on my end and listening to some of your other interviews. It's, I love the way that you will, um, like there was one, per, for example, that you shared with me that was on, um, folks who are high performance and you were beautifully able to bring it into the context of high performance. How is your work related to that? So I love that you're bringing this to our audience. So I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. So uh, before we dive much deeper, I always like to know someone's story and yours is particularly of interest to me because you were a physician and now a relationship and intimacy expert. And I'm curious how that transition occurred. Can you tell us about it? Absolutely. So I'll start with what was happening in my life. Mm -hmm. I'd been in medicine for 12 years. And as you know, mm -hmm. it is a lot of work to get to be a physician working 60, 100 hours a week, tons of tests, just constant learning for a good purpose and the exquisite opportunity of being people in really with people in challenging times. And I love practicing medicine. I was very gratified by it. And so I, I was in my mid-30s, I paid off my student loans, and I thought I should have some sense of having arrived and some sense that now I get to practice medicine for the next decades. I was married, I had three of my four children. I anticipated feeling a sense of fulfillment. Hmm. But while I did, I also had a sense of hollowness inside that was very hard to put my finger on and took mm -hmm. a little courage to actually honor what started at a very low volume whisper. 
That's so interesting because that was actually, I've got, since, since Alexandra is sitting here with me, she can see my outline, but this was one of the quotes that I pulled. And I wanted to ask about this hollowness. Like, can you say more about how you identified it? And Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I haven't been asked that question, but I, I had some sense that I think I would feel deeply aligned with my purpose. And this is a subtle point, but I, I felt aligned with what I was doing, mm -hmm. but I didn't feel that that was aligned with my purpose. Interesting. Like I wasn't doing things that were frivolous, that weren't meaningful for me. Like I was, I was practicing medicine. It, it's very rewarding. It's deeply important. And, mm -hmm. um, like there was nothing that seemed like a waste of time or dull for me, but I knew there was a higher level of alignment that I was not experiencing. And I really want to add, cause this is relevant that in this time, my father died. Mm -hmm. And then two years later, my mother died and I was very close with my mother. And I really felt like the rug was pulled out. Uh, my other relatives, grandparents, great parents, grandparents were very long lived, but my mm. parents clearly were not. They died at just, just past the 60th birthday in 64. And so there were all of these things that I thought I knew myself. I thought I'd work things out and I had created a life mm -hmm. that was very, I'd worked hard and it was well chosen, but I found that really unexpectedly everything was up in the air and things that were certain were no longer certain. So I definitely was certain about my commitment and devotion to my husband and continuing to grow our marriage. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be the one raising my children. But other than that, I'd always thought I would live on the East Coast. We were uh, near Boston to be near my mother. I It was important to me to have a grandparent in our life that was nearby. And where I was living, what I was doing. I actually made changes in religion. That's a whole other topic that we may or may not get into. But the main thing is that where I was standing on solid ground, I wasn't sinking, but the ground didn't feel solid anymore. Mm, yeah. And so then where did that take you? What happened then when you felt this? Well, one of the things that I was able to identify, because these things, we don't really have a lot of language to right. describe in the, you know, there aren't enough NVC, nonviolent communication gives us this whole vocabulary of feelings, but I really needed like adjectives to describe my situation. And like that whole section of the dictionary is missing. <laughs> and so the one thing that I could put my finger on was that. I prioritized my patients. I was, I had a small practice and I was always available for them. And I prioritized my patients over my family. And I was really clear also that I prioritized my family over myself. Mm. And I knew that I was doing fine. Everyone was happy, including me fairly. I was fairly happy, but, um, that's not sustainable. Yeah. And so I, I, have had people say, well, you know, did you feel burned out? Were you depleted? No. But one of my gifts, one of the things that I feel really grateful about my character is that I've been able to learn from other people's experience. Yeah. And so I knew that I was headed towards adrenal fatigue or depression mm -hmm. or some much more expressed sense of lack and loss if I continued putting the oxygen mask on other people first. Yeah. Yeah. So that really was the thing I could look at in terms of your question about what was the hollow feeling. That wasn't mm -hmm. the hollow feeling, but that was the way it showed up and I connected yeah. it. Um, time management was not my challenge, but I could not rearrange this hmm. so that I was tending myself first. And so eventually I thought, okay, well, I just need to take a sabbatical. Yeah. Although... I knew that I wasn't going to go back and my <laughs> husband knew it, but I really didn't have the courage to say it to anybody else. Cause it takes now it seems like no big deal and clearly the right decision. And I have zero regrets, but at the time 
it was very challenging and full of uncertainty to turn my back on medicine. I maintained my license for a while. I don't have it anymore, but um, I've actually been able to help people and develop some guidelines on what do you do when you're making a big life change, whether it's divorce or career or whatever. Yeah. Because I think one of the important things is don't discuss it with anyone who you have any question whether they'll be supportive. I've heard that before and I couldn't agree with it more. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it sounds like whether you recognized it consciously or not, instead of rearranging your life, because you said that wasn't really working, the sabbatical ended up rearranging you or allowed the space for you to kind of rearrange yourself, so to speak. Yes. I love how you say that. And it actually was very funny at the time it was devastating, but now I think it's funny because (laughs) three months after I began my sabbatical, I volunteered at my children's school and I was overseeing this project where I had, I was writing this 40 page document and there were about 12 people and I was supervising. And the main thing is that I recreated the exact same situation without being paid, which just confirmed for me that like how you do anything is how you do everything. Whatever situation I was going to be in, I was going to recreate putting myself last unless I found some way to really transform that. Yeah. And so what then what were the steps that I know you started really diving into personal growth work and um, yeah, I've, I've got this. Is, you're, it's so funny. I don't know if you're reading the questions. No, no, show, no, but I'm not. This is exactly where we're going. Like everywhere that you're going is exactly where my outline is already taking us or was planned to take us, which you already are. So yeah, so then take us through what happened next. What's What resources or teachers or what catalysts, breadcrumbs were you following to transform? You know, I don't actually remember what I did first, but in those early years, I went in a lot of different directions because one thing I knew was that I didn't actually feel like I had anyone in my circle Mm -hmm. who had cracked this code. Hmm. And so there wasn't someone that I could go to and essentially put in a mentoring role. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I did is I went to the School of Womanly Art. Uh, that was one of the, that's one of the subheadings in here. I'm like, how did that change everything? <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'm going to tell you how I got there. Yes, and for those who don't know, this is Regina Thomasauer. I love, love, love her work. Been trying to get her on the show for a while. We're going to continue to try. Uh, so, yes, tell us about the School of Womanly Arts and her work and all things. Oh, and I'll, I'll, um, I'll be glad to help you do that. Uh, okay, well, let me step back a little further. So I just was open and I'm someone who I have a lot of cancer in my chart and I just was very systematic and, um, I had always been clear what I was doing next. And so I was really kind of open and my husband received an email from someone about some introductory, like a, a two hour talk on the millionaire mind, uh, which We didn't know at the time, but ultimately it was through Peak Potentials, which is like Tony Robbins, but it Mm -hmm. didn't make it. It's not as big, but it's that kind of an organization. And so he forwarded it to me, my husband. He's like, we don't want to do this, right? (laughs) That's like how we lived. He he forwarded to me to say, we don't want to do this right. And I read it and I was like, I think we should. So we went to this thing, having no idea, not having done anything that was officially. We'd done various spiritual retreats and so forth, but nothing that was like, true bread and butter personal growth. And so Mm -hmm. there we went to the Millionaire Mind Intensive and we ended up signing up for the thing and we did all these different courses. And one of the things that I did was it, there was a woman there who had been trained in Nia Uh and she did her own kind of dance, but she lived in Vancouver and I was in Massachusetts and I wanted to keep doing that because I didn't, I hadn't really danced before. And that wasn't available, but Nia was one of her things. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take a Nia class. But there was no Nia class in less than an hour from where I lived. And I, it was just completely out of the realm of possibility that I was going to drive an hour for an hour's <laughs> exercise class and then drive an hour back. So I signed up for the Nia white belt, uh-huh. which is the teacher training. Uh-huh. And so my very first Nia class was the Nia teacher training. And <laughs> so I just dove right in. I certainly have never taught a Nia class. I don't feel competent to do that, but I am certified to teach Nia. And the teacher in talking about Debbie Rosas, who's the founder of Nia, 
she got this like very complicated expression on her face and said, yeah, Debbie's into that. I don't know if I can say this on the air. FCC. So, okay. Well, it's not a curse. It's an anatomical description, but anyway, she's like, she's all into, I'll just make it. I'll do the spiritual bypass here. She's, she's all into spiritual feminine power. Uh Uh-huh. And, she was just disgusted by that. <laughs> and she was telling it because it was just repulsive to her. But I was like, hmm, Intrigued. that sounds kind of interesting. <laughs> and I wrote down in my notebook, oh, feminine power, Mama Gina. And I went and looked it up uh-huh. because of this negative description. Yeah. And then uh, I looked it up. She's in New York. And I thought, this is my next step. And so I went to an introductory talk just to confirm that I was going to sign up. Uh-huh. And then I dove in deep into an arena that was completely foreign to me. <laughs> okay. So on that note, Benny, is this a good time to take a break? Sure. We can do it. Yeah, let's do it. And then we'll hear the story because this really feeds into the work that Alexandra does now. So you're listening to Sunny in Seattle. I am your host, Sunny Joy. I'm joined today by physician turned relationship and intimacy expert, Alexandra Stockwell. If you want to check out her website while we're on break, just go to alexandrastockwell.com and we will continue the story, uh, pick up where we left off with Mama Gina and her school of womanly arts and where that led Alexandra next. See you in just a few. Preceding audio was via a Skype call. Are you ready to get unstuck from a bad marriage and embrace your best life? If you're anything like me, you may have spent years creating a life that looks pretty good on paper. There's just one problem. Your marriage is unhappy and unfulfilling, but you're too scared to trade your comfortable life for a future full of unknowns. In my new book, Unhitched, I will give you the tools you need to make the right decisions about your marriage as well as the confidence that your future can be better and brighter than you can even imagine. I share my own very personal story, and I will guide you through a clear process that will enable you to answer the question, should I stay or should I go? It's a process that will help you tune out fears and unwanted advice, and instead tune into your own intuition and inner wisdom, as well as exit a marriage gracefully and feel secure about your future. Get ready to trade confusion and stagnation for your best life. Unhitched. Unlock your courage and clarity and unstick your bad marriage. Available today on Amazon.com. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now... We're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. It's pouring rain. It's real dark outside. Your heart starts beating really, really fast. You've never done anything so hard in your life. This is boot camp. This is the real thing now. It's such extreme pain, you don't understand how you can finish. I began to feel that there was no way I was ever going to have my title, U.S. Marine. It takes special inner strength, courage, and desire to do this. I was just thinking, I'm so close. I'm so close. And when I I finished, I was like, I'm done. I did it. The moment I will never forget is when this drill instructor that I admire so much comes up to me straight in front of me put her arm on my shoulder and said, good morning, Marine. PFC Summer Volkman became a Marine. Can you? Visit Marines.com or call 1-800-MARINES. The few, the proud, the Marines. Alternative Talk 1150, online at 1150kknw.com. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, joined today by physician-turned-relationship and intimacy expert, Alexandra Stockwell. That's getting easier to say fast now. <laughs> done it a couple times. Okay, so where we left off, um, she, Alexandra has been on sabbatical and intrigued by Mama Gina and her School of Womanly Arts in New York. So what happens then? <laughs> well, I want to add, too, because this is important, that around this time, my daughter turned nine, 
and she is such a radiant, amazing, well, at that time, girl. And I was clear she was going to be living with me for another nine years. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of serious and intellectual. And I knew how to have fun, but I didn't enjoy my body and my presence as a woman. I wasn't trained. It wasn't modeled in childhood. It certainly is not part of medical school. And um, I knew that if I didn't find the joy in being a feminine person, that that would kind of close down for her. So I was also motivated to figure it out so I could be at least on a par with where she was heading and not detract from her essence, which is very feminine and expressed and delightful. So yes, I went to the School of Womanly Arts and that was the first of actually quite a few trainings I did where I was the only person who was married, living a busy life with children. It was mostly single women or um, mothers who were divorced or whatever the case. And it was a really fascinating experience because there you learn to celebrate that you're a woman, to brag and to really turn up the light rather than dimming it down as women are trained to do. And so women would brag about these amazing promotions they received or incredible dates and the hottest sex and just all kinds of really incredible things. And I would brag, you know, I made dinner and I was in a good mood. (laughs) And I took care of all of my children and I still had time to really enjoy hanging out with my husband. And they would just kind of glaze over. They were polite. And so I learned to like brag other things. But I think that this has been a repeated theme, both at Mama Gina's and at other kind of sensuality trainings that I've done where the people who have the time and the courage and the inclination to go immerse themselves in developing those aspects of themselves tend to be single with more time or more hippie and fringe or there are various populations that I speak with great respect And I really learned to overcome various judgments I had. And the main thing I want to say is that I was able to draw on all these edgy experiences and incorporate them in my life living in the suburbs, whether it's in the Boston suburbs or the San Francisco suburbs, married, very busy life, professional, with four children, and take these very juicy things and really integrate them and implement them in my marriage of 23 years. I'm going to have to start saying, I get to start saying 24 soon (laughs) and raising children and tending our household and to be able to do that with all that I learned to enjoy being a woman and slowing down sometimes and speeding up others. And this really has provided the foundation for my contribution to couples. Yeah. And that's what I, what I heard in listening to you, um, both today and, and, and preparing for the show is that you found there was really a dearth of material out there that would be applied to committed couples in committed relationship or in marriage. And so that's really how you've created your practice is to fulfill that need. Um, so what would you, what would you say are the primary couples that come to work with you? What is the issue? And then what is it that you help them do? So the issue that has them come is usually the thing that they're most comfortable admitting to themselves, which doesn't mean they're comfortable. It just Mm. means it's the most comfortable. And uh, the typical scenario is couples who've been together five years, 10 years, 35 years, whatever it is, and not always, but usually it's the woman who reaches out to me, and it's because they're having infrequent and unsatisfying sex Mm -hmm. and it is not easy for a woman who loves her husband has built a life together has absolutely no intention of having an affair or going somewhere else well she might dream of an affair but that's not the situation that uh, where people find me they're really committed to their life that they've created their marriage their relationship and it's easier in that context where everyone around them thinks things are good, yeah. to say, 
I want to have more sex and I want it to be better, it takes a whole other level of courage and it's typically not what people lead with and they have to really get to the point where they can feel my advocacy for their relationship that then they can open up and say also that to some degree they're lonely in their relationship Mm -hmm. but it is not where they start because for the majority of couples in the United States and beyond, but I know the statistics and have more, well, I coach couples all over the world, but I have more knowledge of the statistics in the U.S. Um, Our identity is so wrapped up in having succeeded. And if we're not divorced Mm -hmm. and we like the man we're married to, at least most of the time, this is, I'm clearly speaking heteronormative, but this applies across all relationship constellations. We don't want to admit that we're actually kind of stumped on the most basic elements of that relationship. Yeah. And so people go a long time before seeking help, resentments build, bad habits build. And when I'm like super direct, I think the main thing people come that I offer first before we even start working together mm-hmm. is hope. Mm. And that I've, I heard one of my mentors has always said, people don't cry when hope is lost. They cry when they get it back because it is so, that feeling is just so the longing that, you know, may be filled finally. That's beautiful. Yeah. They don't typically express it, but like they don't say, I'm wondering if there's any hope for us. But once they speak with me and I speak with confidence and experience with that's not even a question. I know that if two people are committed to one another and love one another and are willing to do their individual work, that any relationship can be better. And the people that I work with want to stay together. But I believe that this is true, whether they end up separating or not, Mm -hmm. that that relationship, that separation will be much better if each person is willing to do their individual work to improve the relationship for both of them. Yes, yes. That was my experience with my ex-husband. Our relationship improved exponentially post-divorce simply because I was doing a ton of personal work and started taking radical responsibility for my role and what had happened in the marriage. And and my ex-husband was very gracious in meeting me halfway to do amends and healing and forgiveness and all of the things. But I see if it could happen for us, I think it could happen for anyone. Um, and so I guess that's why you're called the relationship catalyst, because you can catalyze anyone. <laughs> anyone <help>. who's willing. <laughs> willing. Okay, there's yeah, the key point. I, yeah. Uh, and there are a few mm-hmm. contexts for my saying that with so much conviction, because as humans, we are mammals and mammals learn through imitation. Yes. And there is a massive lack of role models for great, fulfilling, sensually satisfying, personally growing relationship. Yeah. And without the model, it's much harder to create it. Yeah. And I believe while we're not taught this in school or really most anywhere else, that having a great relationship is a completely learnable skill. Hmm. And that's why as long as people want to be students of their own experience and take guidance, yes, I think any relationship can catalyze and improve in amazing ways. And it continues to surprise me Mm -hmm. how little it takes sometimes to shift things because Mm -hmm. the shift in perspective has this instant trickle-down effect. I don't want to minimize what's involved in transforming a relationship. It's not always quick, but sometimes, in fact, I'll I'll tell a story. Yeah, please, Um, I love stories. I worked with a couple early in my coaching career. They'd been married, I think, for 19 years. They had two children, one in middle school, one in high school. They loved one another. They wanted to stay together, and they hadn't had sex in eight months. Mm -hmm. And... There's a whole buildup in her mind about why that was. She felt very rejected. There's a whole buildup in his mind about why that was. He felt inadequate. Neither of them knew that's mm. how they were attributing it. And my 
way of working with people is to meet them where they are and not to come on heavy with a whole bunch of change. So the first mm -hmm. thing is that they both in their own minds had spent a lot of time focusing on what wasn't working. And so right. the first assignment that, well, the first session, I just had them each share what they love about one another. And they heard things that 19 years of marriage, they didn't know the other one loved. Really? It is not a common thing for people to say things that they assume their partner knows oh. and to say things about what's lovely about yeah. life with another person. So we started with that after having really clarified what the challenge was. And the first assignment I gave them was to make a list, each of them separately, and then to combine it with things that were on both of their lists. But the list stated things that they enjoyed doing together mm -hmm. and to put that up in their bedroom or on the refrigerator and to really help them remember why it is that they wanted to be with one another and the times that they enjoy so that then in that context we could really go deep on their challenges and so I remember the session when I turned and I kind of pivoted in my chair and pivoted the tone of my voice ready to get into sensuality and mm -hmm. like find out what was the next step since they hadn't had sex in eight months and it took a moment they misunderstood what I was saying and then when they caught on they both just got this giggle and they're like <laughs> oh yeah we, we're good with that and there oh! was, there's more work to do but they were it was no longer eight months they'd have sex <laughs> a, a number of times and it came from shifting their perspective yeah and looking at their like she looked at him and saw the man that she loved to ski with and they mm. started hiking more and actually they they travel their their relationship is amazing I I keep you know we're Facebook friends and so I see it and as soon as she shifted her perspective and he shifted his perspective yes there were deep things to transform so that their transformation was sustained but it immediately took the sting out, which was enough to get it yeah. on. Yeah. And that brings up, you know, you mentioned eight months and I've heard you on other interviews that, that there, you have some interesting statistics in, in some of the articles that I read that one in five relationships has no sex and that 54% of folks who were interviewed out of tens of thousands said that they were not happy with that. So I'm, I'm just curious is it a couple by couple thing? Like you'd said in one of the interviews that there was a couple who hadn't had sex in 13 years. And I think is knowing that you have an issue with sensuality and intimacy and emotional intimacy, is that a couple by couple thing? Or are there norms that you should be red flagging if this is happening in your relationship to know that there's an issue to be addressed? Yeah, I'm going to answer that, but I also just want to be precise about oh. the statistics. Oh, sorry. Did I no, get it wrong? You didn't get it. <laughs> no. You didn't get it wrong. It's just that that's the physician part of me that hasn't died yet. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, so it's 10,000 couples were interviewed and 54% said they were dissatisfied with the quality of their relationship. And the, the thing I want to add to that is there's no money to be made in this in terms of a pill or a device oh, or yeah. any of those things. And so uh, there's no, there aren't many, there's just not a lot of investment in research on this kind of thing at this kind of scale. So that particular statistic, it's actually from well-funded, well-executed research by condom companies. Yeah, I noticed that was by Durex or what was the company? Yes, I, I recognized yes, exactly. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so that's just an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. It just, I, I mention it because there really is a lack of education, a lack of role models, and a lack of interest organizationally in this, and yet it affects all of our lives so much. So yes, in terms of red flags, um, couples often pride themselves on being conflict-free. <laughs> and the most common relationship advice given across the board is that you need to learn to compromise. Oh, yeah. And I think those are important skills to have to be able to not be in conflict and to be capable of compromise. But when those become the habit or kind of the tonic for the relationship, like that sets the tone, mm -hmm. that 
doesn't lead to any dramatic red flags, but that leads in the direction of compromise and this idea that, oh, for the sake of the relationship, I'll let this go, even though this uh, this isn't what people say to themselves when they're doing it. I'm like turning up the volume on certain aspects. Like, for the sake of the relationship, I'm going to let this need go or I'm going to put this aside so I don't cause waves. And mostly that happens unconsciously. Yeah. And so it's hard to point to a red flag because what happens is that each little instance of being okay with how things are, even when you want them to be different, mm-hmm. slowly builds. And then you realize, oh my gosh, it's been this way for months, years, a decade. And I have tried to identify what's the thing that has somebody wake up. Honestly, it's good for my business to be able to know that. Yeah. And I have not identified that, um, what it is that like is the, the, um, last straw. Yeah. Yeah. And even when the last straw has occurred, it still takes some time for someone to have the courage to figure out what's next because the couples that I'm working with, they don't want to blow up their lives. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things that is helpful is just to hear that there's someone who's available to serve them in this way. Yeah. That I think is one thing that, um, gives people hope. Yeah. Yeah. And that brings up another question. Cause I, I've heard you say, and I would love to hear you speak to this. I wanted to make sure we covered this, that, you know, your mission is really to serve children and families. And yet here we are talking about, you know, adult sensuality and emotional intimacy. So how do you fulfill that mission by working with the adults? Children are, there's the age old question of nature versus nurture. And yeah. I'm going to put a, Put that aside but nurture is clearly relevant yeah and when I started coaching I don't do therapy so I'm not going digging for past stories as a coach I'm working with present time and then I'll look at the past to the degree that it is influencing present time mm-hmm. and client after client we would get to something that had happened in childhood yeah and I became aware that really the best thing that I could do for children is to teach their parents how to have great relationships. And when it comes to parents or adults in a home, that includes emotional connection and sensual intimacy. And when the parents or step parents, it doesn't matter, have a really great relationship that has an immediate positive influence on the children in being able to relate with peers, with themselves, the voices in their head, any future partners in knowing that they deserve love and they deserve success is follows right on the heels of that. And so working with couples is something that I love doing. It's very deep work and it serves the couple, but it also immediately uplifts the family environment yeah for for children to see their parents listening to one another and speaking with kindness and shifting perspective and letting go of being right in service of the connection and most of all learning to bring all of themselves to the relationship yeah because as you know i while compromise is the most common teaching i'm i'm really against it (laughs) because i think it's really important to be uncompromising and the the real challenging joy in relationship is learning to bring all of yourself to the relationship yeah and so for children to grow up in homes where adults are doing that i think it's one of the ways to shift pretty much any problem we have on the planet at this time wow and that's that brings up another question. And this is something that it, that is very common in my practice. Many of my clients have children, and as they're debating whether or not to stay in the marriage, 
they are for many of them staying and this is a you know a cliche we're staying because of the children and i think if you are not committed to doing personal transformative work when you stay i'm curious what you think about that whole stay for the children thing if they just stay married but nothing changes and there's still the conflict or the resentment or the con- or all of the things we're talking about what are your thoughts on that whole um stay for the children idea I kind of want to sidestep it because there's research, there's a big body of research showing it actually is better for the children to stay. And it's so hard to imagine that that could be true. And so that's why I want to sidestep it. But what I will say is that either way, whether you stay for the sake of the children or you get divorced you are committing your children to a lot of personal growth work and self-inquiry and hard times and transformation in order for them to find their authentic happiness. Right. And so what I think is the most essential thing for parents to do for children is to be committed to their own self growth and transformation. And I think that that is ultimately far more important than whether or not they're married to the child's parent or to a step parent or a single mother and single father. Like the relationship constellation, I think, has far less influence in who that child becomes and which kinds of challenges await them in adulthood and mm-hmm. in their intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. The constellation of the relationship is much less important than whether or not the parent is on a path of true growth. Yeah, I would completely agree with that because when you're on a path with true growth, whether you get divorced or stay together, how you conduct yourself, you bring through so much more love and kindness and compassion and all of the things that sometimes in a really acrimonious divorce, I think are not quite there. Um, Yes, and not only acrimonious divorces, uh, I'm a child of divorce Mm -hmm. and my, I was nine when my parents got divorced, and I did this amazing cultural sensitivity training my first week of my internship. I, uh, I, I trained where there were people from a lot of different cultures, and it was super important to mm-hmm. learn how to interface with them. And so as part of this, we each did this uh, self-identifying what our culture was. And I come from a very interesting, colorful New York Jewish background. But in this exercise, I got really clear that actually my culture is the culture of a child of divorce. And that when Mm. I meet someone who's a child of divorce, I feel like, oh, these are my people. Even more than I would with some New York Jew. And I know that we're coming up on the hour, so I want to be efficient in telling this. But that has also influenced how I think about these things because I am wired as a child of divorce, even though once my parents decided to divorce and even before, they didn't fight that much. Mm-hmm. The whole thing was harmonious. My father used to come for dinner once a week after my parents divorced. Mm-hmm. And yet here I was in my mid or late 20s having the experience that my culture, my tribe was child of divorce. Interesting. Yeah. I like hearing the different perspectives. Um, so as you noticed, we are getting close. Of course, we have way more questions left than what we can get to. So I'm curious, what haven't we covered that you wanted to talk about? I'll do the heavy lifting if nothing comes to you, but I'm just curious, you know, what else, what else is there that we haven't talked about that is relevant for this audience? Well, I always love to leave people with something actionable because we can talk about relationships all we want, but we're all experiencing them. And so one thing that I'd like to share is I have identified the six essential qualities of conscious partnership. And the first one is cultivate curiosity. And I think one of the things that happens as relationships become stale or frustrating, unfulfilling is a lack of curiosity. Mm -hmm. One of the qualities of being in love is having so many questions. And like you and I have recently met and we're just filled with questions for one another. And just eager to hear whatever the answer is. And I think that we need to bring some of that back 
after 20, 30 years, however long you've been with your partner. And the key, there are two keys to cultivate curiosity. The first is to ask open-ended questions and mm -hmm. questions that maybe you've never asked before. And then the second thing is to really be a yes to whatever the answer is, because mm. you might not like the content of your partner's response, but it's much more important that you express gladness that he or she has shared with you. Yeah, kind of like the rules of improv. Always say yes. Exactly. <laughs> because yes otherwise then. everything just goes dead. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, questions like, um, what is your definition of success? And mm. what are you most excited about? And when was the last time you told a lie? And Ooh. what's your first memory of people really appreciating what you've done. I mean, there's there's just so many questions. And this came up for me because uh, our oldest, my daughter graduated from college in May and my husband and I were there and I had all these questions about his experience when he graduated that had never occurred to me to ask. And it was so fun to learn these new formative Ooh. experiences. So even if you think you know everything about the person- You don't. Yes. <laughs> There is always more to learn. That's awesome. And just, you know, we've got just a few minutes left, but I'm just curious, you know, since let's bring it back home to you, this whole journey started when you felt a bit hollow in your life, even though it looked really good on paper and you had all of the things. Um, so how does your life look now after doing all of this work on yourself and with the couples that you work with? How has it impacted your marriage? I love my life and I really love my marriage. My husband and I have each done a lot of work and I feel very grateful. It's one of my best resources for how to work with couples. And honestly, through coaching couples and hearing how a woman will talk to or about her man, I'll be like, how could you talk about your man this way when you love him? And then realize, and that's exactly how I do it. So I feel like my family and my marriage definitely feed my work and there's plenty that I learn from my clients that I'm very happy to take home and integrate and so I, I think this has for me been a complete win-win and that my work with couples would be less if I hadn't been married and grown my marriage as I have and my marriage would be less than it is if I didn't have couples to learn from. Yeah, oh, I love that. Well, we are coming right up to the end of the hour. Um, so I have been joined today by physician turned relationship and intimacy expert, Alexandra Stockwell. I really invite you to check out her website, alexandrastockwell.com. That's alexandrastockwell.com. And she's got a wonderful free download. She mentions, mentioned those uh, six what characteristics of conscious partnership. Yeah, the six qualities, qualities. of conscious partnership. Yeah. yeah, that is a free download at her website. And if you're interested in taking it further, you can find out how to do that on her website. So thank you all for joining me today. Alexandra, thank you for being here with me. And what welcome to your home. <laughs> yes. What a pleasure. And I look forward to continuing the conversation on and off air. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. So thanks everyone out there. I will see you next week. This is your host, Sunny Joy, signing off.